In Jesus' name, it's good to see each of you here. It's good to have some fellow Canadians here. So that's always a, a good thing. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I shouldn't say this, but you know, when it's snowy and the roads are icy, I didn't know how many people would come or be listening on the phone or what. So I commend you for your courage to travel on these roads. And to, I think New Yorkers, this is probably normal fair, you know, snows quite often. Virginians use snow as an excuse to get out of all sorts of things. And so, um, glad to see each of you here this morning. Turn with me to Genesis 19, and we're going to break in in the middle of a story where some angels went to visit Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're going to break in starting in Genesis 19, starting at verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out, and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get ye out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocketh unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain, escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto. It is a little one. O oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this also, that I will not overthrow the city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew the, those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities which, were, which grew up upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. This morning, the title of the message is The Danger of Looking Back. The Danger of Looking Back. Do we take God at his word? Do we take it seriously? This morning... Are we looking back at all the things in the past? This is a new year, right? First Sunday of a new year. Are we going to look back? Are we looking forward to what's to come? And the danger of looking back is the possibility of also turning back, which is something we never want to do. And we're not looking at self-reflection. Sometimes you get to the new year and there's some self-reflection. How did I do last year? What could I do better this coming year? What... and there's this thing of setting resolutions and, and these things. But we're not, we're not looking at that. This morning we want to, the danger of looking back at things that we've left, 
such as the water pot. <laughs> so Glenn brought up, what did the woman at the well leave behind? She left her water pot. She left the material things. God has called us from a lot of things that we've left behind. And now we, we don't dwell on those things. We're not like hankering after those things, or are we? That's the question. Are we hankering after the things that we have left behind in our old life? The, the regret sin brings is forgotten long before the pleasure that it brought. Have you ever noticed that? If you think about a sin and then you deal with that sin, there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of things that are involved with the sin. But so often we forget the regret long before we forget the pleasure of sin. I listened to a story about a man at the age of 20 who robbed the bank that he was working at. So he was, he was working as the bank uh, vault guy. He was in charge of the vault. And he figured out a way that he could rob the bank and no one would know the difference. And he could be gone for uh, the whole weekend before anyone would know any different. So he robbed the bank. $250,000. So not a lot of money to ruin your life. But back then it was about $1.3 So still not a lot of money to ruin your life. Well, he wrote two letters back after he left the bank. And he wrote I don't, maybe both to his girlfriend. And in them, it was full of regret. Like, I just ruined my life. I can't come back. I, I've done this and now it didn't bring me happiness. It didn't bring me fulfillment. I've just... I've ruined my life. Um, it didn't satisfy him, didn't bring him joy. Nothing that, I don't know what he thought it was going to do, but nothing that he thought it was going to do, the, the feelings weren't there after he had done it. Now, one positive thing he did from a criminal perspective is after he left, he didn't look back. So he did not contact, after writing that letter to his girlfriend, that was the last communication he ever sent back. He didn't call his mom, he didn't call his brothers, he didn't call his dad, he didn't go back to his town. He never looked back. Once he left, he was gone. He, all his old associates, everything, it was just, he left. All for $250,000. He left his friends, his family, and his freedom. Okay, so, we've left, hopefully, sin behind, right, with all of its associates, and there's a prize that awaits us. Are we, do we look back at, well, that, that, was, that was fun. Uh, those things that I used to do, I wonder what it would feel like to do them again. I wonder what it would do, you know, if I would just, whatever it is, you, you fill in the blanks. There's a treasure that awaits the faithful. It's not something that we steal, but something that has been freely given to us. Okay, so we can accept salvation freely. And what do we do? We receive a new name. This guy went out and he changed his name. So we get a new name. We get, we're called, well, hopefully Christians. We're called uh, a son of God. Isn't that a blessing? When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we, we receive a new name. There's inheritance that awaits. But there are some things that we give up. Uh, if anyone says in the Christian life, well, you don't have to give up anything to be a Christian, that's a lie. There's a lot of things that you'll have to give up, but it's well worth it. And it can be family, friends, houses, lands, all these things. It can, it can include any or all of those things. 
Now, I wanted to look at Lot's response when the angels urged him to flee Sodom and Gomorrah. He wouldn't even go out of town. Yeah, on his own free will, they said, do you have any sons or daughters here? So he went and talked to his son-in-laws. So I assume he had some daughters in town. They weren't even listening to him, some married daughters. They wouldn't even listen to him. They thought he was making things up or joking. They're like, you're crazy. But when they got back home, they were just hanging around, maybe getting some, you know, well, we need some clothes for the journey. We need to pack our suitcases. And the angels are like, you don't understand. This, t- this is going to get destroyed. So they, they literally grabbed them by the hands and hauled them out of the city, right? So there was an urgency. They drug Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of the city. And then what did Lot say? They said, well, escape to the mountains. And Lot's like, no. Uh, if I go to the mountains, some evil might overtake me. Do you think he believed what the angel was telling him? Because in that city, some evil was about to overtake him. He was being overtaken by evil, just being, hanging out in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the fact of the matter, I don't think he truly believed what the angels were saying about the imminent threat of the city because he wouldn't have been lingering. And we think that Lot's response was crazy because we see the rest of the story. We've been told that the earth in which we live is going to be destroyed. But do we live that way? Do we really believe it's going to be destroyed? And do our, does it give us some urgency to tell our neighbors that we and you don't have to be destroyed with this world? There's a better plan. There's a, there's a means of escape. I don't think the, the world, when they talk about global warming, understand the level of which it's going to come to. It, um, 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in, holy, in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Now, I've moved some people from the city to the mountains, and I've also heard of stories where a person bought a mountain home, and his wife was sitting at, I think, the dining room table, and a bear walked across the back porch. And that was the last time she came to Highland County, and they put the house back up on the market. But, like, I think the city people have a, a, a perspective of the mountains that we don't have. They're like, they're scary. There's mountain lions and cougars and coyotes and, and Bigfoot. You know, like, I'm not sure what all they picture being back here. But Lot, to him, the city was comfortable. For me, if the angel would say, Dave, I want you to go to the city, I would have the reaction. Well, not so, lest some evil overtake me. I feel pretty safe in the mountains. Uh, There's some security being back here. But Lot, he said, well, I don't want to go very far away from what I know is familiar. 
Speaking of the day of the Lord, Luke 17, 29 and 30 says this, But the same day that that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. There was not a long time gap where when he was drug out of the city and got to the little city that everything behind him was incinerated. It was, it was a very short time, hours. Now there's a coming a day when this earth will be destroyed. And we've been warned to flee many things. Okay, The Bible, I, could, I didn't look them all up. But flee fornication, flee idolatry, which is the wor- worship of things or self or material. Anything that's uh, elevated above God. Flee material pursuits. That's a hard one for us. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Flee youthful lusts. And I was having a conversation with my wife. What's youthful lust? Well, it, it could be any number of things. Pride, arrogance, lust, the desire for the forbidden, pleasure seeking. I don't know. What did you deal with in your youth? There, there, it says flee those things. So we've been asked to flee this stuff. And are we anything like Lot and say, well, I'm going to flee, but I don't want to go very far away. I don't. You know, there's some comfort I had in these things. It's what's familiar to me. It's what I was used to. And I'll go away from them, but I might not destroy them. I might leave some accesses available there. And one thing, uh, back to the idea of material pursuits. And unfortunately, the problems the world faces, the, the church starts to face fairly shortly thereafter. And they said there's a, an epidemic of problem gambling in America. And w- why is that? Well, one is accessibility. You can now gamble on your cell phone, and apparently a lot of people are gambling on their cell phone. But the I- idea behind it is that for $10, hopefully I can make $100. Well, gambling doesn't work that way. So there's a lot of people that are spending, and this should tell gamblers something, $600 a week gambling in America. Just, and that's, that's gamblers that have it under control. So, so $600 a week, they should be multi-millionaires by now if the plan worked, right? If you're spending $600 and you're getting good returns on it, you should be very rich. But no, the gambling scheme is set up against you. Um, And it has a lot to do with this love of money. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed contentment levels, even amongst Christians, has been going down. And yet we have more and more stuff, and we're less and less content. And this is a fear of mine, and something that I want to take seriously, and I think we need to take seriously. The danger to go back to something is much greater if that thing is not very far away. 
right? So the danger of me going back to Alberta is less. <laughs> it's, it's a long ways away. No. But um, th- when we think about, it's not always possible to put distance between you and what you face in life. If it's a sin issue, sometimes you haven't left the town that you grew up in and you might have sinned in that town or you didn't, great, you didn't put a great deal of distance between you. It's not always possible just for simply putting distance. But there's a, you can change your mindset, right? The, there's, so, I, okay, I'll, I'll try to explain what I'm trying to say. If I say, well, I'm going to burn that bridge to sin in my life, the one mindset is, I've burned that bridge, but I will just find another bridge. Okay, do you get that mindset? And we've probably been there and done that. We've burned one bridge and found another bridge that goes to the same place. But a different type of mindset is that I'm going to burn that bridge that led to sin, and if I find another bridge, I'm going to burn that one too. Isn't that a different mindset? Rather than, well... I'm just bound to sin. <laughs> well, if, we, if we're bound to like, well, I'm going to turn back, we probably will turn back. But if we determine in our mind, our mindset is, I'm not turning back, there's going to be a lot less turning back. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looketh back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think Jesus was trying to give the idea of where is your mindset? Was it wrong to go say goodbye to your parents? Was it wrong to bury your father? I don't, I don't know what was all involved with this, but Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. I think Jeremy said it this morning. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, then all these things will be added unto you. If he was following Jesus, it didn't mean he would never get to say goodbye to his parents again. You can follow Jesus, and hopefully your parents support you in following Jesus. We, we are very blessed to be, have a godly upbringing where we're following Jesus, and our friends and family are following Jesus too. What a blessing. There, a lot of people didn't have that. These Jews, when they committed to following Jesus as the Christ, they were rejected by their parents, by the secular or the spiritual leaders of the day, as being heretics. Jesus knew their heart. So I was, I've also started listening through Pilgrim's Progress. And someone said, well... What do you, 
how do you get better spiritual insight? And I think one thing was age, because I listened to Pilgrim's Progress a long time ago, and I didn't pick up on all the little spiritual intricacies that were woven in when I was a child. He, he wove a lot of things into Pilgrim's Progress. Well, one, um, one of the people in Pilgrim's Progress was a man called the Dreamer. And he had, a, in his mind, a terrible dream where the trumpet had sounded. Uh, I think it was a dream of the rapture. And many had went to be with Christ, and he was left behind. And he was telling Christian, well, this, this was terrible. And Christian was like, well, this is wonderful. That's the coming of Jesus, you know, to take his saints home. You should be rejoicing. This is a great time. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. It was terrible. It was a nightmare. I woke up sweating and screaming. And well, Christian's like, okay, it was just a dream. And you're still here. You must, there must be something that made you dream that. Is there sin in your life? And the dreamer's like, no, there's no sin in my life. And then there was an interpreter with them. And the interpreter said, well, Dreamer, tell Christian the truth. And Dreamer's like, okay, there's a little sin, but it's just a little one. And so Christian's like, well, if it's so little, why don't you take care of it right now? And the, and the Dreamer said, well, I will soon. I'll take care of it soon. But it's little, right? And you're having these terrible dreams. Why not now? And, and the fact of the matter is, he never took care of it. Soon never came. And I thought about this. There's never a convenient time to follow Christ. You know, when the person we're waiting for a convenient time, well, it doesn't come. But now is the right time. There's never a convenient time to get right with God. But now is the best time. So often we try to fix physical details before we work on the spiritual details and it needs to be the other way around if we want to deal with our sin issue we need the spirit living within us we need to confess our sins and have his spirit work in us to transform us rather than trying to do it on our own now claire brought this example to my mind and i was grateful that he did turn with me to first kings 19 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the ox and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done in thee? What have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now I found this story interesting. Elisha requested that he kissed his mother and father goodbye. And Elijah's response, when I looked it up in the Hebrew, I got a little idea that it was like dissatisfaction, but it was, it was hard to pick up on the idea. Um, so I'm not sure what Elijah's response was. He's like, go back again for what have I done to thee in English. Um, 
the, the one thought it could have been was that Elijah was like, you're going to have a hard life. Because right before then, Elijah was pl- complaining to God and saying, I'm the only one that's serving you, and no one wants to do what's right, and no one wants to listen to me, and now I'm passing that on to Elisha. <laughs> like, that's not real nice, um, if you think about it from that aspect. So maybe he was saying, go ahead, do what you have to do, because you have a hard road ahead of you. But the, the thing that stuck out to me is what Elisha did. So he went home, and maybe he took the 12th yoke of oxen, the one he was using, and he said, well, I'm not going to need it anymore because I'm going to be a prophet, and I'm going to be witnessing for the Lord, and I'm going to be doing these things. He took it and sacrificed the oxen and burned up the plow. And so his past life is, I think it's a good illustration for us, the things of his past he destroyed to move on to new and spiritual things of God. And I think where we can do that, we need to do that. You know, God might, I'm, Elisha, Elisha was an ordinary farmer, right? And did he do great things for the Lord? I think we'd all say that he did great things for the Lord. You know what? God might be wanting to do great things through you and I, just being ordinary farmers or whatever we do. And he's just waiting for us to surrender. Just give up whatever we want to hang on to. Just give it up. Um, It might not be quitting our job, but it might be letting go and saying, God will provide when I do what God's calling me to do. And surrender fully to him, and God will do mighty things through you. Now, Luke 17, 32 and 33 says this. says, Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Why are we to remember Lot's wife? Does anyone know? She looked back. Does it? Was that her only sin? Might have been. The Bible isn't real specific on what all was involved with Lot's wife looking back. We know that she had daughters in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that her house was there. Um, Everything she knew, pretty much, for the last however many years, was in Sodom and Gomorrah. So do you blame her for looking back? Well, she's, she was told not to. Take a minute with me and consider this. Where is everything you love and hold dear? Now, there's a right answer and there's the truth. And these, they're not necessarily always the same. You know, much of what we love and long for, shouldn't it be waiting for us over in glory? Shouldn't it be we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness? We're we're looking for the redemption of this old body. We're looking for our Savior, Jesus Christ, to, to be with him in glory. Do we love Jesus so much that we're willing to deny ourselves 
pleasure for a season? Do we love him above everything else? Or when he comes and returns, will he catch us looking back? And what is the consequence when he sees us looking back, longing for all the things that we're leaving behind down here? You know, because here in Highland, you, you think about, well, everything I love is in this little space. And we're not in Gaza, surrounded by rubble and burned out buildings. We're surrounded by beautiful trees, peace, serenity, friends and family, neighbors that don't hate us. It's kind of nice, right? You might even say a little heaven on earth. Did I hear someone say that this morning? I think I might have heard that this morning already. You know, we live in a little heaven on earth. And I don't want our heaven on earth to take away our longing for a better home, a better place. I think we're very blessed to be able to be where we're at. But I don't want it to, to steal our desire for an, a new place a new home, a wonderful celestial city. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Charge them which are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The world view, or at least the American view on Christians, is shifting. And don't be surprised if the world hates you. Okay? It's coming faster and more furious than we'd like to think. And the world's going to hate us in a way that we have not experienced. And it may be that all our earthly possessions are just taken away from us. It's very possible that in the not-too-distant future, that all we have could be <laughs> nothing at all. And so where is our treasure? Is it in heaven? If it's in heaven, who cares? If it's not in heaven, we'll have nothing to show for it. And that's a problem. Matthew six nineteen to 21 talks about not laying up treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Was Lot's wife's treasure in Sodom and Gomorrah? I think it was. That's where her treasure was. And it cost her her life. And it cost them the lives of their two daughters and their sons-in-laws and yeah just the the ability to live in comfort and ease costs lot everything and i think we need to take this seriously i believe without god we should feel extremely empty but through prosperity many have been able to numb the feelings of emptiness for a time they they fill it up with something else that comes along they'll just I feel empty, and so I'll get a new toy. I feel empty, so I'll do this. I'll buy some more land. I feel empty, so I'll 
whatever it is, and they, they mask the emptiness that should be, I'm going to fill it with God, and they fill it with things. Jesus was explaining to his disciples, and not just the twelve, he said, there's coming a time where you might have to give your life to follow me. And he said it in more confusing words, but I think they understood his meaning. And because it says after that time, many of his disciples turned back. Because they said, well, we'll follow you, but now that you say it's getting hard and I might have to give my life, they turned back. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, well, will you turn back also? Are you going to leave me also? And this is what Peter said, Lord, to whom should we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a great response. <laughs> our Lord, to whom shall we go? And that should be our response. Where, where would we go? If we turn back from God, where would we go? Back to what's going to be destroyed? that's going to be condemned, back to a life of regret and sorrow, where would we go? Why would we turn back? There's no reason to turn back. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, 1 to 11. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our new house, with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we should not be found naked. For we that are, are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Wherefore we, always, wherefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifested unto God, and I trust also are manifested in your conscience. <clears throat> I think there would be less looking back if there was more looking forward. If, do we groan to be clothed with a new body? To, to be in a place free of sin? To be a, in a place free of temptation? Do we long for that new home? Or is, it, or is life just pretty good down here? Now turn with me to Hebrews 11, and keeping this thought in mind. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So as I studied all these different passages, four things stuck out to me, and they were all listed here real neatly. Number one, we need to stay focused on the prize. They looked ahead for something better. They waited. They didn't receive the promise, but they were looking ahead to the promise. Next, they were persuaded, or they were convinced in this. If we're not convinced, there's no way we're holding out to the end. So they were convinced. They, it says they were persuaded of them, and they believed that these promises were real for them. Peter said as much in John. He said, we are sure that thou art the Christ, or we are sure that you are our Savior. Why would we go anywhere else? And that helped Peter and a lot of the other apostles to stick it out to the end through death, the martyr's death. Number three, they embraced the promises. Do we embrace the promises that we have in the Bible? Both the negative and the positive. Number four, they didn't long for what they have escaped from. It said if they had been mindful of that country that they left, they could have had opportunity to return. But they didn't even think about the country they left. Because they were thinking about a new country, a better country. Philippians 3, 13 to 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Also in 2 Peter 2, 20 to 22 for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than that after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to a true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed in her wallowing in the mud was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Going back from serving God is sure destruction. And I think that should help us to not go back. Why would we go back to sure destruction? When I, when I also thought of the thing of turning back, I thought a lot of the children of... Um, Israel. And as they went from Egypt, what did they do the whole time they were heading to Canaan? Didn't they constantly look back and they forgot all the hardships in Egypt and they remembered all the good things? They said, well, we have, we had good food back there. We had plenty to drink back there. We had houses. Never once did they say, well, we got beaten back there. We had to work all the time. We, had to, we were in bondage. They weren't saying that. They remembered all the good things back in Egypt. And what happened when they got to the land of Canaan? Did they look back? 
Well, I think they looked ahead and seen the giants, and then they're like, we're going back to Egypt. Or some of them tried. They, numerous times, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Well, then in, I was reading in Jeremiah, and the people said they were in captivity in Babylon, I believe, if I got the context correct. And they, they asked Jeremiah, they said, pray and ask God what we should do, because we're tired of being in captivity. So Jeremiah prayed, and he said, well, are you ready to hear? And they said, yeah, we'll listen. And so they sat down, and you know, while they were in captivity in Babylon, do you know where they were wanting to go? They were wanting to go back to Egypt. Because they said, in Egypt, there's not famines. In Egypt, there wasn't war at the time. In Egypt, there wasn't these other things. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. And God said, no, I'm, if you set your heart to follow me, I will give you this land that I have promised you. But he said, if you go to Egypt, if you don't listen, say, we're not going to stay in this land. We're not going to follow you. If you go to Egypt, he said, the sword will visit you in Egypt. Famine will visit you in Egypt. Pestilence is like, you can't hide from me. If you're going to run from me, I'm going to find you where you go, and I'll destroy you there. So the options of turning back are not options. They shouldn't be options. Let's not turn back. Something encouraging to end on about following the Lord. Mark 10, 28 to 30. Then Peter said unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's, but he shall receive an hundredfold now and this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Now, we don't like that with persecutions thing, but if you've left things behind for Jesus' sake and the sake of the gospel, you'll receive a hundredfold. Look at all my family here. <laughs> Isn't it a blessing to be part of the family of God? I don't normally pick a closing song, but if our song leader would lead us in a, a verse, or three verses, of song 591 in the Purple Book. Thank you.